This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, January 26th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, SMRC searches for new executive director. Candy Meehan seeks commissioner seat. Eyes to ears with Caleb Eatman and a mountain weather forecast. The San Miguel Resource Center is searching for new leadership. It may not be the easiest work to dive into, but I guarantee it will be some of the most rewarding work. That's SMRC board member Hannah Max. The San Miguel Resource Center is a nonprofit organization supporting individuals affected by domestic violence and sexual assault. We provide direct services to clients. Um, we also provide things like legal support, uh, help with housing and shelter, um, and we operate a 24-7 hotline for um, victims who are seeking either resources or support um, as they go through that process. The executive director vacancy comes after Leila Benitez left the role last fall. Benitez had only been in the position for about a year. The new hire will be the fourth person serving as executive director at the Resource Center in roughly five years. Max acknowledges the challenge of finding the right fit. I think it's, you know, definitely been hard to develop a sense of stability. You know, I'm not going to pretend that it's an easy job or an easy subject matter to walk into. And I think um, we, in the past several years, the tools that people have have really changed in a lot of ways. And so one of the things that we're really looking for in this role is someone who has a sense of both delivering trauma-informed care to others and what that means, but also really assessing the support system they have in place for themselves and, and to hold that space for the employees. And it is you know difficult to find someone who has, again, that sort of total package of being able to deal with the operations and business side and uh, really be there for the team. But I think that that person is out there. Working alongside a staff of advocates and educators, the executive director will be tasked with daily operations of the organization and community engagement, along with finance and fundraising. But SMRC board member Katie Dove notes the team is integral to the work of the Resource Center and the success of a future leader. And the best part about this job is going to be the fact that above all, this is a huge opportunity. A lot of the time when organizations are looking for a new executive director, it's you're walking into an organization where it's very messy, there's a lack of structure, there's many problems, and that is not the case here. Someone is going to be able to walk in and really have the opportunity to establish leadership in a very positive way and lead and direct a team of people who are totally on board with the mission and ready to help them establish themselves as a leader. And I think that is a really exciting opportunity for many people. Max and Dove say in the years to come, they want to see the Resource Center collaborate more with other nonprofits and share the work and resources they provide more effectively with the community. At its heart, Dove and Max say the Resource Center is there to support the community on its hardest days. These are the types of issues that are um, ubiquitous in our society. And so when you walk around Telluride, it's so beautiful and it seems so idyllic. And um, I think that that sense is felt by visitors and locals alike. But there's real life happening behind the scenes. Um, and that's true whether you're in New York City or whether you're in Telluride or whether you're in Denver or Norwood. Um, that's happening everywhere. And so I do think for such a small town to have supports like this, it's extremely important. Um, 
Because if we didn't have supports like this, there would be a whole mass of people who are not getting help in this, you know, these tragedies that they're experiencing sometimes every day. Max adds providing a space for community in all walks of life is vital to the fabric of Telluride. There's a lot of uh, policy level organizations and legislative organizations, but to be able to say, yes, like something has happened to you and there's a place that you can go and your community will hold you. I mean, that is for me, not just why I joined the board, but a big part of why I've moved to Telluride and love it here, because you can really be surrounded by community in moments of need and in moments of joy. And it's a really beautiful thing. Salary for the position ranges from ninety dollars to $100,000 with additional benefits. Applications for the executive director at the San Miguel Resource Center will remain open through February 16th. More information is available at smrcco.org. Norwood Mayor Candy Meehan has announced a bid for San Miguel County's District 3 Commissioner seat, representing Wrights Mesa. With our first story of the 2024 election season, KOTO's Gavin McGough has more. Current District 3 Commissioner Chris Holstrom will be termed out in 2025 as she nears the end of her second four-year term. Thus far, one county resident has tossed her name into the race for that open seat. It's Norwood Mayor Candy Meehan, who says she's long considered a bid for the position. I have been playing with the idea of running for commissioner ever since I became mayor, but I didn't really have focus or my voice to my standard at that time. I could see that the things that the West End and Bright's Mason needed However, I wasn't sure how to stitch it together with the needs of the East End. Meehan cites two years as Norwood mayor, alongside a course in state and local government, which she recently completed at the Harvard Kennedy School, as prompting her to find her voice and take that next step. Speaking in a phone interview on Thursday, Meehan addressed county discourse on development, green energy, planning, and more. As the area looks towards its future, Mian says it's not alone in addressing these issues. They're not unheard of. Everyone across the United States is basically in the same boat. You know, it's that five fingers. It's the water, the infrastructure, the housing, it's education and medical. And you can basically put everything under one of those categories that is functional right now, but it's not formidable in this county. We could be moving towards being more sustainable, more competitive. Mian goes on to say collaboration and good listening will be key in creating a sustainable future. Reflecting on her path, Mian says it's Holstrom who has been her inspiration. Chris has been an incredible mentor. Um, the one thing she's always encouraged me to do is take that next step, go forward. Now, as Holstrom leaves the commissioner's seat, Mian hopes to make that very position her next step. Mian invites voters to be in touch as she begins her campaign and directs anyone interested to visit her website, mian.life, to learn more. Eyes to Ears with Kayla Beatman is a staple on Kodo. But this week, the art segment is trying something new. Have a listen.
Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Eyes to Ears, a radio show where your host, Caleb Eatman, oftentimes describes art to you. Today, however, is not the case. Today, I am interviewing our local middle and high school literature teacher, Coach Jana Pollard. She will describe to us her favorite piece and what it means to her. Welcome to the show, Coach Y. Thanks so much, Caleb. I'm honored to be here. You're, you're welcome. But um, before you describe your favorite piece at, uh, of them all, describe to us your regular art experience. What medium do you most enjoy, whether it be musical, visual, or otherwise, and how you often search for the right piece to observe? Uh, my art experience now is way more interactive art so I do like to go to drama and theater Um, I just went to improv which was great through the fig Um, and I also use art as kind of a time waster so I'm a big doodler I so love that (laughs) and I I love I just I've been trying to get back into doodling just a little bit but it's it's a little hard when you don't have much time to waste but either way, describe to us, in your words, the appearance of this piece. Okay, so today I brought a piece by Andy Goldsworthy. He does not name his art typically, so I don't even know if this is named. But when you look at it, it basically just looks like a bunch of sticks and twigs that are connected together by tinier pieces of twigs. And they look like they're floating magically in the air. And you kind of have to zoom in to see how they're connected. Um, And in this picture, Andy Goldsworthy is working on the project. It's extremely fragile. um, And he's outside creating this piece. I imagine that is a very, very hard task, one that might give one a migraine. Uh, But what does this mean to you on a more emotional level? The reason why I love Andy Goldsworthy is when I was introduced to him, I watched this documentary about him. It's about an hour and a half called Rivers and Tides. It's very good. Um, And to me, when I grew up as a student, art to me was something that was expensive, lasted forever. People either bought it or stared at it at a museum. And Andy Goldsworthy is opposite in the sense that his art is temporary. He does not name it. It's often and destroyed by a tide coming in or a wind blowing through. It's delicate, and he only uses materials that are out in nature. So in this piece, there are twigs. He does not use nails to tack them together. He just uses smaller pieces of um, twigs to connect them. Um, And by the end of the piece, when it's finished, it's so temporary that a small breeze will collapse it all together and he gives it back to nature. And that blew my mind when I first learned about him because to me it was like, what, you don't want it to last forever? You don't want to put a price tag on it? Um, But for him, he takes art, mostly things that are dead in nature and gives them a whole new life and then gives them back to nature, which I thought was just amazing. I love that. I love the idea of how creativity is a sort of sense of creating a new sense of life, whether we can understand it or not. I like the sense of how a lot of us as artists, we have a clinginess to every piece that we make. I myself would hate to see if if someone were to burn my sketchbook in front of me, because who would do that? But... For this man to make these art pieces and to just have that sense of inner peace 
with watching as it goes away. I love that. I love that idea. It reminds me of a channel that once existed back in 2020 called Unis Onis, Latin for one year, where these two YouTubers known as Mark Fishbach and Ethan Nestor, they, they made one video per every day for one whole year. And at the end of that, they deleted the entire channel, all of its existence. We only have memories and small video clips of the, uh, of the videos itself to remember it by. But other than that, you could just say, hey, Unison ex existed, but you have no proof of it. Probably the same for these few pieces. Yeah, I, I really like that too. To me, it makes me think that art is not necessarily the material thing. It's the process and then the memory of it. I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> it's, it's all about the feeling of the piece. And if the feeling is only for that one moment, that just makes it so much, it means so much more in that sense. But this has been Eyes to Ears on Kodo. It's been wonderful talking to you, and Miss Miss Pollard. Thank you for ever describing this uh, this piece to me, and to you, the listeners, and everyone here. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day. Caleb Beatman signing out. A quintessential aspect of small-town politics is running into your local representative on Main Street and having a quick chat about issues of the day. Now, the opportunity to have such a chat is getting a little less impromptu. San Miguel County Commissioner Ann Brown is spreading the word she'll be having coffee at Butcher and the Baker in Telluride next week, and you're invited. Billed as Coffee with a Commissioner, Brown's informal office hours will take place on Tuesday, January 30th, from 3.30 to 5 p.m. Brown has been in the job for eight months now since filling a seat vacated by Hillary Cooper last spring. Commissioners Lance Waring and Chris Holstrom will hold similar events in the near future as the county seeks to increase its public outreach and meet residents face-to-face. -face. How do humans stay connected? in a world that sometimes seems to be pushing us towards isolation, distrust, and fear? That is the question at the heart of Julie Holland's book, Good Chemistry, The Science of Connection from Soul to Psychedelics. Holland will be in Telluride next week for a discussion on the book. In the book, Holland explores the science of connection through the human experiences of everything from spiritual to psychedelic, noting individuals can find oneness through meditation, community, the beauty around us, and also psychedelic medicines that catalyze connection with self, nature, and the cosmos. The book talk with Julie Holland will take place on Tuesday, January 30th at 5.30 p.m. at the Mountain Film HQ office. The Republican primary candidates for Northeastern Colorado's 4th and 8th congressional districts gathered in Fort Lupton last night for two debates. 
Congresswoman Lauren Boebert is running for re-election in the 4th District instead of her current Western Slope District. Boebert defended her record as a conservative. The crops may be different in Colorado's 4th District, but the values are not. And I'm a proven fighter for the values that you all believe in, that you want secured. The 4th District leans heavily Republican, and whoever wins the primary will also likely win the general election. Immigration reform and closing the southern border were top priorities at the debates. All the candidates said they would support Donald Trump for president. They also all called themselves pro-life, but most said they wouldn't vote to ban abortion on the federal level. Colorado Parks and Wildlife says as many as 15 gray wolves could be reintroduced to Colorado's western slope by next winter. But as KSJD's Chris Clements reports, it's a move that concerns the Ute Mountain Ute Tribe in southwest Colorado. CPW reached an agreement with the Confederated Tribes of the Colville Reservation to collect the wolves on the tribe's land in eastern Washington. Ten wolves from Oregon were released in Colorado last month, the first batch under the state's reintroduction plan. However, the Ute Mountain Ute tribe says they were never properly consulted about the decision to reintroduce wolves to the state or the potential impacts it could have on the sovereign nation. Manuel Hart is chairman of the tribe and says he's worried about the depredation of already dwindling herds of cattle and horses. Hart says tribal members routinely bring their herds to the tribe's land in Gunnison County, like the 20,000-acre Pinecrest Ranch, which is near to where the next batch of wolves is likely to be released. The state of Colorado failed to notify both the Ute Mountain Ute and Southern Ute Indian tribe. So when they went through that initiative of the public voting on that from the state of Colorado citizens, then we were not included in that process. The Colorado plan calls for releasing 30 to 50 wolves on the western slope in the next three to five years. For KSJD, I'm Chris Clements. Many Colorado communities are using goats for weed control. In Boulder County, one herd is currently grazing at the water treatment plant in Superior. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KJNU Sam Fuqua stopped by and spoke with Jordan Sarazen, co-owners of Goat Bros with his wife Tony. They provide goats for grazing as a land management tool. We've got about 300 Spanish goats and boar goats in here. This is kind of a unique project here inside of the water treatment plant. Um, because of the water here, they don't use any pesticides um, or herbicides, and we're in a unique situation here because, um, as you can see, it's also super hilly and hard for human labor to get to and equipment. So the goats are a really great tool to come in, and what the main goal of this project is, is, is one, to reduce the vegetation for fire mitigation, so reducing the fire fuel load in the area. And then there's also several points throughout the property that need to be accessed for um, maintenance and checking on different areas of the water treatment plant. So the goats are also clearing around those um, maintenance locations for easier access for the people that manage the water treatment plant. What's the best use of goats for, for weed management and vegetation management? This is obviously one example, but as you said, somewhat unique. 
goats are are really just one of the best tools for land management because they're doing 15 different things at once um uh, for example they're going in and they're they're tilling up the soil gently with their hooves walking around so with with 300 goats out here that's a lot of hooves out on the ground um, and then they go through and they're eating the vegetation on the ground and in return recycling that with 100% organic matter um, and trampling that back into the soil, feeding those microbes. Um, so in short, taking everything that we see on top, recycling and feeding everything under the ground that we don't see, um, which helps feed the native vegetation um, and promotes just a healthy ecosystem all around. And are you based here in Boulder County, or where are you guys based? So we're actually based out of Firestone, Colorado, um, but we travel around all around Colorado. We've done some work in North Glen, Brighton. A majority of our work is here in Superior. Um, we've done some work in Longmont for all types of people, for all types of different goals. Give us a couple more examples. Yeah, so a project we did in Longmont, we were reducing the willows on the golf course. Um, historically in that area, they have burned those areas. Um, and we we're doing that project specifically because willows take a lot of water. So trying to, to stress those plants enough so that they aren't using as much water. We also did a large kosher project in Brighton at an old landfill site or gravel site. Kosher is a, a weed that it spreads rapidly um, and they have tons of seeds on them and they tend to grow in really distressed areas. Um, so we were really doing a, a whole reclamation project there, if you will. And uh, the goats are really great for that because they're broadleaf browsers. So they're going to go after those seeds. Um, and they have really sharp molars, so they'll chew up those seeds. And then they have highest um, acid in their stomach, which kills those seeds so that when they're, they come out through the form of their manure, they're not vile. Our biggest um, project or projects, because there's different locations here in Superior, is our fire mitigation work. Um, having the goats come in and reducing the fire fuel load that you see on the ground um, and turning all this dry matter um, into their manure, which is significantly less um, flammable, and creating fire breaks to protect the community. And in some areas here in Superior, we're also um, we'll see vegetation that goes, it's not just on the ground, it also goes up. And so the goats are really unique in that space because they can get on their hind legs and clear vegetation anywhere from the ground up to six feet high. Now, do goats clear vegetation that you might want to stay as well as the stuff you want them to eat? Yes. So that's one thing about goats is they are not picky. They'll eat just about anything. Um, if you leave them in a space long enough, they'll eat it down to the dirt. Um, that's when our job comes into play with our professional management. We're out. Um, we actually live on the land with the goats. So we stay in a fifth wheel and travel around with them. And we're moving them depending on the goals of the project one to two times a day. Um, because goats are broadleaf browsers, the first thing that they're going to go after more than likely is the weeds or things that we don't want. Um, and so that's when our job comes into play to monitor what the goats are grazing, how often they're grazing, and move them in these sectioned off fences um, that you can see and make sure that they're only going after the vegetation that we want 
and typically most noxious weeds are broadleaf. Why don't we walk over here a little bit and we're approaching uh, about a three foot high fence. This is uh, electrified? Yes, this is a a fence that has strands of electricity that go through it. This is how we help keep the goats in to do our targeted grazing. It also helps keep predators out. So you set up shop, you set this fence up, you put the goats out and you live here with the goats? Yep, we got a fifth wheel and... uh, Is that a trailer? Yeah, yep, a a mobile trailer. And uh, we'll set this fence up anywhere from one to four times a day, depending on the project. Um, Typically, we're working at just under an acre a day, which is four rolls of this fence. Um, So depending on time of year, how low we want to get the vegetation is is how long they stay in the, the sets. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low around 15 degrees. Saturday should be sunny during the day and mostly clear at night. The high is near 40 degrees with a low around 20. Sunday expect sunny skies with a high in the mid-40s. Sunday night should be mostly clear with a low around 25. This has been the news for Friday, January 26th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.